Today, Mardi and I are recording from the lands of the Wathaurong and Wurundjeri people, respectively. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. We recognise that this land is stolen land and this land is Aboriginal land. I am on the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation and I genuinely feel grateful to their people of past and present because my family are migrants and I mean we all are but we've benefited from this country immensely and I just feel a huge sense of gratitude to their people and recognize that we're thriving on a land that is stolen and you know I just admire and respect their resilience and working at Richmond Every single day coming into work, I would look at Yarra Park and think, people gathered here for centuries and it's, you know, thousands of years and it's, it's remarkable that it's still a place of gathering and I just look forward to the day when we have more Indigenous voices to celebrate that. Today we have another very special guest joining us for this episode of The Review. So we would like to welcome to the mic Rana Hussein. Rana is a diversity and inclusion consultant who's worked with the Richmond Football Club and the Do More Project. She's also a writer, presenter and a broadcaster. She's a member of the ABC's Outer Sanctum podcast and co-host on Play On Radio. We've asked her to talk about an area of expertise for her which is diversity and inclusion, particularly with now being the month of Ramadan. But we also wanted to get Rana in for the whole chat today because she is an expert at talking about football and we've just had the AFLW Grand Final and the W Awards, so we couldn't have that conversation without her. Welcome, Rana. So Rana, am I getting this right? You are a Melbourne supporter and have always been a Melbourne supporter? Yes. So my footy backstory is that I grew up in Essendon. So my whole family goes for Essendon, but I never really cared about footy. It was just kind of on and I just didn't think it was for me. And then I saw Russell Robertson one day (laughs) and I was like, he's cute and then so like started to get interested in the days so embarrassingly through him and then a friend of mine took me with her family to my first ever game of football and it was Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne and it was a Friday night at the MCG and I just fell in love with the game the whole thing the atmosphere and that was it I just was like oh days of my team and I just didn't look back and then started working at Richmond in 2017 and yeah one I feel like when you're in and around a club you just find a whole other you know soft spot for that team and then you know I was really lucky to be there at a, at a really successful period for them so it was hard not to kind of also be behind them and you do develop relationships too get to know the players yeah it became really kind of just for the tigs because I really wanted them to do well but Melbourne's always been my team I think with a lot of us we have an AFLW team and we have a men's team so I think where it's landed now as I've sort of come to realize now that I'm not working at the tigs is that I probably in the M I go for the D's and in the W I go for the Tigers. Hester and I did talk most weeks throughout this season of who we were going for and who we wanted to win and who were we actually following like neither of us could actually make up our mind every single week so we do want to talk to you about the AFLW and the W awards as well that have 
just been. But I landed on Melbourne in the end this season. Obviously, I followed along in the men's and followed them in the women's too, but it was a very hard year to be a Cats fan uh, for the women's team. So I jumped onto the Melbourne bandwagon. But I do, I feel the same. I feel like your, your emotional attachments in the women's league are different. Completely. You know, you do when as you move through life, like things happen and I can I used to be really critical of people who team hopped, but now I don't know, I kinda get it. I'm starting to understand how that happens and especially having two teams when it comes to the men and the women, because the stories around the W sides are so different as well. They all each team has their own narrative. And so I feel like it's okay to have a different team in the W as well. What about in the uh, in the grand final, Rana? Who were you supporting? Oh, I was squarely behind Brisbane. I think most of us Victorians were, weirdly. But I I tipped Adelaide. I thought that they would run home with that. But I was really hoping Brisbane would get up, mostly because I've tried a few times and haven't gotten yeah. there. So I think I was going for the story in the end. And oh, what like that grand final was full of great stories. It was so delightful. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I felt exactly the same runner. I was a bit nervous that Adelaide would just be too strong at home, but I was so hopeful that Brisbane would get their fairy tale in the end. Like they'd had the heartbreak. And I just think, yeah, the footy gods were watching that game. It was so nice to see them play so well and such a good spread. And it was an awesome game to watch. I was just so happy that it felt like a real team win. I love it when that's the case in football. I'm always for a team that doesn't maybe have heaps and heaps of stars but shares the load, that's always going to get my attention over a team that has, you know, one superstar. Was that my dad used to always say to me, a champion team will always beat a team of champions. Yes, correct. I think I'm with you, Rana. I love the story of it and I love any grand final. You just always want to see that just little bit of humanity in it. You want that underdog story or that whatever it is, that little part of sport that's human and heartwarming. I love to see that in a grand final. So it was, I think it was definitely like that to see Brisbane, who've lost twice, get that win. It's so funny because I often feel like a bit of a fraud as a sports fan because, honestly, it's the storytelling that gets me in sport. The thing that I love the most about sport is triumph over adversity. It's, you know, a training montage with a win or loss at the end. It's That's the stuff that I love and I feel like sometimes maybe I'm not actually a sports fan, I'm just a sucker for good stories, but I'm so glad to hear that you feel the same. That's what I, even when I'm watching play and it's exhilarating and it's a great spectacle to watch, I'm thinking about the individuals playing the game all the time too, like, oh, that guy just got hit really hard, what's going through his head? What's his parents in the stands? What are they thinking? How are they feeling? That's what happens when I'm watching football. And so, yeah, I often think, oh, I don't know if I'm, I am a sports fan, but I'd like for us to expand what being a sports fan actually means. Rana, I feel like I'm exactly the same. <laughs> I think actually Ben would be really stoked if this gets into the episode because he likes to describe football as like a modern theatre of storytelling and he says well that's one of the reasons why it's so important the AFLW because it tells a story to society about what women and girls can do and how they can be portrayed so I feel like every time I watch the AFLW it's like wow look at what you can be look at what you can do and then you watch the W awards like last night and you know you see how powerful and strong 
women can be and how wonderfully queer women can be kissing their partners when they win and it just tells this incredible story to us that I think is really special. I had the best night last night watching the W Awards but I had so many feelings because last year was such a bummer watching Maddie Prisparkas win in her backyard, which they did as well as they possibly could, but it was just such a downer to not get to celebrate that season, especially after not finishing it. So it was really weird. So this season was, it was so nice to see all the women dressed up and have a party basically. Again, like a not, the not sports fan that I am, I, I was just devouring all the outfits is such an anti-feminist thing to say and I'm so sorry to all my feminist friends but um, I just the suits got me every suit I was looking at <laughs> like where did you get that that looks amazing no way we can totally still devour outfits can't we I yeah I love a suit although I don't think I could wear one which is I think why I love them so much so that was probably my actual highlight but I think the winners, Bree and Turbo, I, I couldn't have agreed more with that decision that they both got it because those were the two names that I was trying to decide between. And so, of course, they would both, you know, would have joint winners. And it felt very right. It felt like the right decision, felt very AFLW. The, in the speeches for them to thank their partners and to talk about, I think, I don't know if you caught it, one of the questions to Kara Bowers was how do you manage it all, which is a question that women always get and the answer she gave was, well, I have a wife, basically. She said, you know, I have a wife who helps me. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) She has a wife at home who's helping her and a partner who's helping her and that's how she does it and how many women want that in their life? Yeah, totally. I, I definitely picked up on that too, Rana. And Rana, I feel like you'd be like me where I was so happy to see a draw because it means two people get to win. Like I think they're both amazing and totally deserve it, but I'm all like, can they all win? I know. I'm very much the same. And that's probably why I do have so many teams that I go for. I just end up loving everybody. It was a nice, lovely night. You know, ever the critic in me, the only thing I would say, and I would normally not bother, but, you know, I'm going to go for it on your podcast, (laughs) is that I would have loved to have seen a woman of colour represented across the hosting side of it and the broadcast side of it. I just, you know, and it's just very on brand for me to say that, but I feel like if I don't, it gets lost. And I have to just kind of keep reminding people that there are women of colour who love football and the more we can just kind of start to weave different voices and faces into the way we represent this game, it's just a much better product, I think. So We absolutely agree with you, Rana. Could you talk to us then about more people to be seen in and different people to be seen? Can you talk to us a bit about visibility? Yeah, well, I think... I'll, I'll be more personal about it. You know, I don't think when people think AFL and footy and Australian culture, I'm not the person that would come to mind. And I would just love to get to a point where when we think about Australia and Australian sporting culture, you also think about people like me and people like you. And that's 
the hope for me and where I want to get to because I think the sporting narrative in this country does really inform how we think about ourselves. And so I think if we can see different faces and centre different voices, you know, let's face it, AFL was built for and by white heterosexual men and initially by more upper-class men and then it kind of spilled out into more working-class communities But, you know, that's how it was initially built. So I think now our job is to really make sure we expand that and deconstruct it and rebuild it a little bit so that it means actually a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And you only have to look at AFL media to see that we're still centering white heterosexual men's voices and their voices are valid, but equally valid are our voices, you know. Shout out to Making the Call, who are really championing female voices in sports media. I want to talk about Ramadan mm. and Basha Hawley being quite vocal about what that means for him and his performance and his role at the football club. And I'd be really interested to know how the football club supports him during that time and also how that can filter to community levels because yeah, football is no longer just for a select elite, it's for everyone and it's the community, it's a foundation of so many communities that, yeah, how can we support people at, at that elite level but, yeah, how does that filter? I'll start by saying Basha coming into the AFL and coming to prominence did wonders for me as a Muslim woman who loved football already. It was sort of the first time I went, oh, our people can do this too. <laughs> I, I have a space here too. And, you know, not fully. I never thought I'd ever play football, but I just thought, oh, if he can be in there, then maybe it's not so scary and closed off. And so I think, you know, whether people thought about it that consciously or not, we all as a community backed him and got behind him and followed him really closely. So I didn't go for Essendon, but I followed his career more than I probably did anything else. And so it opened up the game to a lot of people and a lot of Muslims took on Essendon when he joined because they were fully for him. And so, you know, I would say to clubs, that's the power of getting different talent into your your sides that you probably are bringing your community along to. Ramadan, and yes, we're in the month of Ramadan at the moment. And for your listeners, if they don't know, Ramadan is a holy month for Muslims and we fast from dawn to dusk. I'm not fasting today because I'm unwell, but in general, you fast no water, no food during the daylight hours. And so that sounds full on, but it's actually a really spiritual and uplifting month for us. You know, it's a period of introspection and I describe it a lot like a spiritual pre-season because basically the aim is for this month, you're going to go really hard and hone habits or skills or behaviours that you really want to show throughout the year. So in a pre-season, you're really developing yourself and getting your body ready for the season. And that's what we're doing spiritually in this month. So we're really going to go hard at our spirituality for a month and then hope that some of that continues on throughout the year, but maybe to not as an extreme, you know, intensity. So that's what Ramadan is. And it's usually you spend the day, you know, a lot more quieter. Um, A lot of us are obviously working, but then we, at the evening when the sun sets, we gather with our families and we break our fast and then we head to the mosque for communal prayers. And so that's every night. So it's a big month. And 
Of course, then, if you're playing AFL football at the highest level, what on earth do you do? And it's been such an interesting process that's been really instructive for Muslims, again, because Basha didn't shy away from his identity as a Muslim. He lent in, if anything, and brought the club along with him. And so both at Essendon and at Richmond, he educated them on what Ramadan is. He told them that this is a priority for me and I want to do it and I will be doing it. How can we work around this? And credit to the club, you know, is brave on his part because he could easily have been dropped having that conversation. They could have said, well, if that's your priority, then we're not going to play you because how do we know that you're going to perform? Credit to the club, they worked with him so they modified his training regime for that month so he does a lot of really early morning training after he's just eaten and clocks off earlier you know he checks in with the dietitian you know at Richmond by the time he got to Richmond he was an older player they trust him and they've done it now so much that they believe that he can manage this and they just talk about the kinds of food how he's going to hydrate throughout the evenings for Basher, though, specifically an elite sports people, they don't have to fast because it's their work. So some people still do. I saw a soccer player, a lot of soccer players the other day in Turkey who they stopped the game and broke their fast on the sidelines, which was really interesting. But Basher, I know if it's a day game, he doesn't fast. And if it's a night game, he fasts and then plays during the evening because he can hydrate. So But like I said, I think the club really valued him as a player and, you know, he performs in Ramadan. So there's no reason for them to shy away from being a bit more accommodating. And I think we have to really be impressed by in an environment that is so about the team and fitting into a schedule and a regimen, as you guys know, they really were happy to accommodate him. So Rana, how then... Can we filter that down, do you think, to lower leagues, to community sport, to you mm. know, children as well? Yeah, so I think the impact of that is that if elite clubs can do it at the high stakes that they have, that it builds confidence for community clubs to also be more accommodating, and not just for Muslims, for individual players who have different needs, whether it's family or you know other things going on. It just shows that you can work around it. I know a lot of athletes in the community space who are going to fast during Ramadan. And they, you know, I think it's about having conversations with those individual athletes and saying, okay, you know, this month is coming up for you. How do you want to play this? And some some athletes might say, you know what, I'm not going to play and I'm going to sit out and that's their call. Others might continue on. I think for younger kids and families, you know, it's worth checking in with families actually. What is this month like for you? And my number one rule with all of this and any inclusion work is to be curious, obviously with respect, but get to know the people at your club and ask the question because we all do things differently as well. Even as Muslims, we all practice at different levels. So just be curious and inquire. But, you know, the main thing is that to take away the fact that this kind of work isn't hard, to be more inclusive isn't actually that hard. You can do it. And if premiership sides are doing it, 
it tells us that it's doable. Absolutely, Rana. So that's like, you know, I think it's really important for people to know how to be more supportive. But can we also talk about how we can help celebrate? Because Ramadan is actually awesome and super exciting, isn't it? So how can we actually celebrate, not just support? Yeah, well, I think, and the, and the, the other thing I will say when it comes to kids is a lot of people think, oh my gosh, kids do it too. I just want to note, they don't have to. Um, but a lot of kids want to. When I was little, I was so excited to fast. It's what I wanted to do. It was was for me showing that I could do it and really testing myself. Like I would look forward to the fasting month all year. So I think a lot of people assume parents are forcing their kids to do it. It's absolutely not the case. And so given that, I think being joyous about it, you know, often when I talk about Ramadan, the first thing that people do when they hear that you're fasting and that it's quite a strict fast is they kind of give me the, oh, you poor thing. Oh, my gosh, how do you do it? You know, for us it's actually... We want to do it. We know we can do it. We've been doing it our whole lives. So be excited with us. Say, oh, exciting. Ramadan's about to begin because it is taxing. I won't lie. It is taxing, but it's a really important month for us. Saying things like Ramadan Kareem or Happy Ramadan or Ramadan Mubarak, that's what we say to each other when the month begins. So just joining in with us on that level, I think if you're working with someone who's fasting, just being mindful that we are. So, you know, maybe don't ask us out for coffees or lunch or just, you know, check in. Are you fasting today? Okay. Is there anything I can do to support you? And then what we do as a community is we drop off food to each other to break our fast in the evening. So there's a lot of gift giving and a lot of food being shared But I think that I love the most is when people ask questions like you are giving us the time to talk about it because so often we hide those those parts of ourselves because we think people don't want to know or it's weird or it's different. So when people ask and are excited and join us in our joy, it means the world. That's so beautiful, Rana. Thank you for sharing that with us. And on that, is there anything you do want to tell us about Ramadan? What do we what do we not know? What what should we know? Well, so we celebrate at the end with a big feast called Eid. Um, and it's, you know, I guess it's the Muslim equivalent of Christmas, but it, it's same in that what we do on Eid is eat all day. And I hear that that's <laughs> also what happens on Christmas Day. So very similar, lots of gifts and just getting together with family. Um, and we have a morning prayer. So actually, it's probably very similar to Christmas. <laughs> but I would just say, give it a shot. I reckon people are very dismissive when they hear fasting, but I... I think just see how you go what you know if you're just doing it one day it is tough but you build up your tolerance to it and you find this new level of focus and internal kind of tranquility I know that sounds a bit woo-woo but it's really true I find that I'm more productive in Ramadan I'm more the person I want to be and I feel more serene in this month and that's something to do with when you don't eat or drink your mind kind of focuses in a way that it doesn't in other times and probably for me as well you know I use food as a distraction a lot of the time or a break and so suddenly you know if I'm working instead of a coffee break I think all right well maybe I'll just go for a walk instead or just sit quietly because I'm not you know going to go and have a chat to anyone while I make a coffee and you find that you get a bit 
more meditation in or you get a bit more introspective and there's just a lot of benefits to it that aren't just testing yourself and that's the part that I love. Amazing. Rana, we know that you left your job at Richmond recently. Can you tell us what you're doing now? I can. I'm about to start at Cricket Australia as their inclusion manager. So a really exciting opportunity came up at Cricket, which is the other sporting love of my life. Being Indian, I grew up watching cricket. And weirdly, like I think I probably know that game in my bones better than I do AFL, even though I watch so much AFL. So I'm really excited to kind of explore the cricket space now. That's amazing. Congratulations. Do you think you'll jump headfirst into cricket like you have this love of AFL and AFLW picking teams and jumping around? What's the vibe like at cricket? (laughs) I haven't started yet. I feel like it will happen because my partner always teases me. Is anybody you work with you just sort of fall in love with? Which I think is a good thing. I think that's how it should be. Um, Oh, if you love your job. Yeah, exactly. So I do a little bit of work with the Collingwood Football Club now, sitting on their anti-racism expert group. And people said to me, well, especially my partner, he said, oh, you're so going to go for Collingwood by the end of this. (laughs) Absolutely not. I refuse. But now I do find myself <laughs> hoping for them to do better and hoping that, <laughs> that they're going to be okay. So I think if you invest in a space, especially in the change-making space, like if that's your, the business you're in, which I am, you want that space to be better and do well. So I think I probably you know, to do my job well, I'll have to throw myself into it. But it won't be hard because I do love cricket anyway. So um but I go for India in the cricket. So I don't know how that will go down. <laughs> Rana, I've been so excited to have you join us on the podcast for some time because you are without a doubt one of my favourite voices in football and one of my favourite voices. You just have the nicest voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's uh, I love your podcast. So I've been dying to come on, and I was thrilled when you said, "Come and come and join us." Thank you for listening to the Significant Others podcast. Please keep the conversation going and come and join us on Instagram at the Significant Others podcast to suggest any interviewees or conversations you'd like us to have.